0: to Paranormal Roundtable. I'm your host, Josh Turner, and with me is Anthony and Tony. I see you look up. You try to, <laughs> you try to say it real quick. I got you, man. I got you. So here, here's what's happening tonight. We have a, a show for you, obviously, but before we do that, we got to talk about a couple things here. Uh, just got to get the schedule out so you know we're going to be on tonight until eight o'clock, and then tomorrow night until eight o'clock, and then Barton Nunley comes on and does his show in Humanoid Encounters to Barton Nunley. Then Thursday night, I'm on with Blondes and Booze at eight o'clock. And, um, we have a good show planned, you know, over there. I'm there every Thursday and I'll be there for, you know, at least until the end of March. We, We don't know how much longer, but after that, but I'll definitely be there until the end of March. I agreed to, to, to be on their show. I want to help them grow. I want to help Barton grow. I want to help Matt Impsch grow. Tex from Texas Front Porch, uh, Bigfoot Michigan Rob, all these other channels that I'm friends with. Uh, Christopher Garrett show off to the witch, and then we have, uh, Lou Blackburn's Monstro Bizarro. Who am I missing here? Rai Voss has a has a show now called Coda, Codega. What is it? I think it's Codega's Codex of Curiosities. Codega's Codex of Curiosity. It is I believe it. so. It's a mouthful, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we have a lot of people we're we friends with and affiliated with. Of course, Expanded Perspectives, I appreciate them reaching out to me through all the things that have been happening to us and going on. Yeah, they're OGs. Yeah, they're good good people, man. Kyle and Cam, good 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 people. They reached out to me on my live stream. I had Chris One with Chris James. That is the Saturday show that's going to come out every Saturday until the end of March also. It is the UAP project, but it is really... I don't even know how to describe it. We It starts at 8 o'clock every Saturday, which our Friday night show is going to be at 8 o'clock. The Sunday show is going to be at 7, 730. We try. We end up getting a little bit late sometimes. Um, we had a, something, a family matter pop up on Sunday, so we had to help somebody out. But, um, you know, Typically, all the shows will be at 7 o'clock for the Tuesday and Wednesday, which is now Wednesday instead of Thursday because I'm on Blondes and Booze. But Blondes and Booze, and then my Friday show where I always have a guest on the live stream, which is a YouTube exclusive, that starts at 8 o'clock. Um, the Saturday show at the UAP starts at 8 o'clock. This week, we're going to have Rob Vox on. Um, he's really good, He's he's got a lot of good information. Uh, last week, it was Garitano. The week before, it was uh, a Truth and Bass. Um, and then the week before that, it was uh, Bart- James Bartley. So we've had some really good guests, and we're going to continue to have some good guests. And this is something that I was actually planning on doing with Nick Redfern, but his father took ill. He went back to England. Uh, so we end up with... Um, The project still goes forward. We still got to do it, yeah. And hopefully next month, we'll have Daniel Jones on. We'll have Christopher Jordan on. We'll have uh, Dr. Bertram on. We're going to have a lot of people come on and talk on Saturday. And it's more, it's about the alien agenda, but it's also, it's a lot of, um, we talk about ghosts, cryptids, pretty much everything, Um, and we do it in a StreamYard format where everybody's on camera. So it's pretty cool. And, and, and it's just me, Tony and Anthony aren't really involved in it. Um, and then we, we, uh, we have the Sunday show where we tell people's encounters. So, yeah. Also, if you're looking for a way to support the show, the Patreon, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 dollar tier. Uh, everybody knows, you know, the $10 tier, you get an autographed book from one of our friends that's an author. $20 tier gets you the same thing, but a t shirt. $30 tier gets you two books and a shirt or maybe a hoodie. If we got one, a $40 tier, you get a shirt and/or hoodie with one of my autograph books and then, of course, two autograph books from someone else. And then you get the $50 tier is the big prize. If we have it, we'll give you a shirt, uh, a hoodie. Um, or maybe a cap. If whatever we have in stock, you'll get two items in, uh, if we have it in stock. And then you'll get all the other swag that we give away, two autographed books from someone else, and both of my books, The Werewolves and The Dogman Phenomena and The Bigfoot Phenomena, both of those are going to be autographed as the other books will be sent out to you, $50 a month, but you do it uh, for two months. You get it, you get the uh, the swag. So I hope everybody does that, goes out and helps support the show. You can also do a super chat uh, while this show is playing. You can can do super chats during this show while it's doing the premiere, uh, which is at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, Or you can do a super chat during our live stream on YouTube, which is, like I said, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So three nights in a row of live streams. A lot of material. A lot of material. I'm working on a third book. Which is about vampires. The MK Ultra book has had to be shelved due to holding out for a witness to come forward, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. But it was a big part of the book and what we were going to talk about. And that person got—I'll be—I'll be real honest with you, folks. They got scared. They got kind of freaked out. Um, some stuff happened to them, and they're just not real and then there's some there's a couple other things too that that I'm not going to talk about but um somebody had said this and I'm going to just say it really quickly they're like oh they got to you you got scared you know and and this is a listener of the show they're not a bad person but he kind of jokingly said that um uh, I'll call him C um uh, C no that's I did not get scared I am totally willing to do whatever it takes i mean Yes, there was something controversial that would have been at the end of the Dogman book and I decided to take it out, which did shorten the length of the book by about 15 pages. Um, maybe, well, maybe more, maybe about 17, 18 pages. But I thought, you know what? There's always already going to be controversy in the Bigfoot book, you know, with one of the witnesses we had, Claudia Ackley. Uh, luckily for me, it didn't turn into a big thing because Barton Nunley, Kirk Reed, Larry Fisher... Among a few other people, had also talked to her and they had been given the same information that I had. So nobody could say, Oh, she passed away and then you made something up. No, that didn't happen. And so those gentlemen were kind enough to step forward and say, No, 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 we got your back on this because people will look for anything, absolutely anything that they can attack me with. And I believe that that's just a symptom of what comes with uh, getting the truth out there. When you bring the real deal uh, multiple times a week, these people, they're angry. One, they're jealous. They can't do what we do, which has led to the attacks. We've been under constant nonstop attack from several different uh, people in this field since the conference. It started literally like, what, four or five days after the conference, and it just has never let up. It's been just nonstop attack after attack after attack. And it's not as simple as block and delete because there's a bunch of fake accounts. I've already explained it. And there's been some really, really bad things happening, nasty things being said and done. And we've weathered the storm and we continue to weather the storm. And one is a very large uh, YouTuber who's been trying to bully us, but he's not been successful. He's just been spinning his wheels and with hate Uh, And hopefully he'll come to his senses and leave us alone. So I'm sorry that that's going on, but it hasn't slowed us down. Our growth has continued and even gotten better. And we have gotten um, a lot of support from the good people in the community. So ignore these people as best you can. If they say something to you because they have said things to our listeners, just ignore them. Stay away from their channels and their toxicity. And uh, we'll do and continue to do what we do and what we've been doing and that's bringing you the best we can. The music is coming out left and right. We have the new song ready to go. It's going to be uploaded to Paranormal Table on YouTube, right, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. It just got finalized uh, today, and uh, I'm going to be uploading it to our distributor tonight. It usually takes uh, three, four days on average, um, but it can take even longer. But Every other song I've, I've uploaded to them, they've distributed it within like four business days at least. So, and we are dropping them kind of in twos. There'll be one, and then a couple days later another one, and then we'll that'll there'll be a lull. Um, and these two that are coming out are the Mummy's Curse, right? Yeah, the Mummy's Curse and and Layarona. La and then the next two will be a song called. Uh, Bear King. Bear, the Bear King, which is mine. That's the one I help write. Yeah. And the, I'm proud of that one. I like, so hopefully <laughs> it comes out good. Um Nelly's been the main person that writes these. There's and it's no AI generated fake baloney. This is her writing the songs. The music is her ideas, everything. It's all her. And um we have people that 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 sing the songs. Um where there's talk of me singing one of the songs. I don't know if that's gonna happen. I don't know if I'm up for it we'll see what happens. I might do it. Um, I've been told I have a halfway decent, not so ugly voice. But <laughs> Wow, what a compliment. Exactly. Nobody I mean, said, If it hey, sucks, yeah. we can just auto-tune it and make it sound like, it, <laughs> make it sound like you can sing. <laughs> uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can come up with. But uh, yeah, The Bear King, I'm excited about. That's a local legend here uh, about The Bear King. And then we have a few other songs that are going to be coming out. Um, we have one that's that that's in the works. It's about the black dog. And then we have another one that is Bigfoot, And then there's, um, I'm trying to remember the other one that's already written. Anyway, there's several other songs that are, that are written. And then a couple that are being worked on and tweaked. And then it'll come out by the time it's all said and done, there should be about a dozen songs. And, uh, this was all based on poetry that Nelly had written a long time ago and she went in and redid them, and there should it's going to be really cool. Once it's all done, it's going to be kind of like monsters, and, you know, and ghosts. You know, one of the songs is about uh, a vampire, vampire rising, then the change, which is a werewolf song, night visitors, and that's about alien abduction, and then of course a Haunted, which is about ghosts. So th- those 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 uh, songs are sung by different people. Laerona was actually sung by uh, Violet Helms, just like she's one that sung the ghost song and the alien abduction song. So that's something to look forward to. It's going to be really cool when they come out. I'm really happy and I'll be re- I'll be playing them on the live stream, premiering each one on the live stream. And then you can go to Paranormal Sound Table and check them out. Also, I'm starting to to accept friend requests again on Facebook, so go ahead and send me your friend request, but let me know that you're a friend. Um of the show. Instagram, Josh Turner 940. That's the way you get a hold of me on Instagram and Josh Turner at Send me your stories. And Tony, want to give them your coordinates? Yeah, you can find me at PRT Mushu on both Facebook and Instagram. Just look up PRT Mushu. I've been putting some uh, stuff up there, like little, little knickknacks I've been making while we do these shows. And um, I think it's pretty cool. Check me out. And Anthony? Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram as Mexican Jumping Meme, and uh, and on uh, Facebook, you can just find me on there under my name, Anthony Moreno, and there's probably going to be two profiles that pop up. It's the one with the picture of me and Wolf, so. Okay. All right, well, that being said, let's get started. This story. In the spring of 1958 in eastern Belarus, two men encountered something that would forever change their lives. What that was... Was something that I believe to be an ancient creature that has existed alongside mankind for a very long time. And I do believe in its existence and a lot of people will say it's not true. Most of the time when someone gives me a story and they say that they saw one of these beings, they don't always give a description as, hey, this is what I saw. This is what it was. It was this particular creature and they give it a name. No, most of the time they just tell us what they saw. And then we sort of put the label on it. This one, this one was told to us as this is what it was. They believe this is what it was. This is a horrifying story that was given to me by a man of Belarusian descent. He came here when he was three years old. He's older than me now, and his dad, his father, is 87 years old. In 1958, when he was 21, he was walking home, his name is Mikael, with his best friend Sava. They were in between the towns of Dubrovna and Orsha, which are roughly 21 kilometers apart or 13 miles. They were about three miles west of Orsha, and they were headed about four miles east. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. ...of Dubrovna. So they had about a six-mile journey, so they began to walk home. This is located in the province of Vitebsk, which is in northwestern Belarus, and this is also close to the, to the Russian border. Now, in that area, there have been reports of werewolf looking creatures, vampire looking creatures, ghouls, all kinds of things. Uh, the Baba Yaga. There's a lot of stories about a lot of weird, weird phenomena. Balls of light that bounce around and chase you in the night. Um, all kinds of stories of like creatures that come out during snowstorms to snatch up people. They, Mikhail and Sava, grew up with these stories. Mikhail's son, Alex, reached out to me. That's the English version of his name. They actually, he actually is a friend of mine who is an Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox church goer, and they met each other. And he said, Hey, my friend has a show. You should listen to it. After hearing his story, or at least part of it. After listening to me for a couple of months, he decided to reach out to me. And uh, this is what he said. He said, my dad, Mikhail, and his best friend, Sava, were coming back from a barn dance. It was in late spring. And even though it was in late spring, it was still a little chilly. And it was, it, it was uh, raining, like just, you know, drizzling. And, uh, of course, 1958, they were still under the, the Soviet boot hill. They were still under, you know, communa- communist occupation. And um, life wasn't great. Life wasn't fun. They grew up on farms. They were pretty much hand-to-mouth poor people. And um, it was a fun thing on a Friday night to go out and, you know, go to a barn dance and, and you know... Hang out with some local women, hopefully, you know, and dance with them and whatever. That was the goal. But after the dance was over, they stayed for a good hour and a half having a drink with a few of their friends. They finished off a couple bottles of vodka, and the several friends parted ways, went their separate ways. And uh Mikhail and Sava who are actually neighbors, not they didn't live next door in a town, but they were neighbors who lived on, on farms right outside of Dubrovna. The barn dance was only a few miles outside of Orsha, which, you know, as kilometers go. It would have been, you know, several kilometers, but it was only like three miles out of out of Orsha, which I think is roughly five miles. It was three three, uh, three uh miles. And in the the farm that that uh, Miguel grew up on was right outside of Dubrovna, and I think he said it was about four and a half miles out of town. That, but you know, I, I converted kilometers to miles so everybody can understand. They joked and laughed, and it's funny, oddly enough, that night they were joking about witches and and just kind of talking about curses and talking about the Baba Yaga and talking about all these different things. And one of their friends said, you know, you guys need to stick together because one night when I was walking on that road back to Dubrovna, you know, several years ago, and this was an older guy. So they said he was about nine, 10 years older than him. He said, I was there with a couple of oxen. And of course, this was, you know, just a few years after World War II and everything was devastated from the war, from the German occupation and then the Soviet occupation. And he said that it was a mess and he said, but I was walking home with an ox cart. He he goes, I had come to the market to sell, you know, our our stuff. He goes, and something crawled up out of a ditch and then shot straight up into the air. And uh, moments later, a quick flash and his oxen was laying on the ground and there was this weird looking thing, which he didn't even get a good look at it. He just bolted and he took off running. And he said, this thing was laying on top of the oxen and appeared to be drinking its blood. And he said, I saw blood coming out of its neck. He goes, and I ran and I ran and I ran and I didn't stop. He said, my heart was beating so fast when I stopped, I began to vomit and then I ran some more. He's like, later on, you know, a couple miles down the road, he hears a shrieking, ear piercing cry is the only way he could describe it. And he looked up and he saw something flying overhead. Once again, he didn't get a good look at it, so he hid amongst a really thick, clump of trees and this thing dropped down, began to circle him and go round and round looking, looking, sniffing the air. The description, he didn't get a good description. It just looked like a black shadowy thing. There was no moonlight. And he said, all I could see was just, you know, the outline of this thing, but it had wings and it was about eight foot tall. He said it wasn't really, really large. It was thin but it was very muscular looking from what he could tell. But then again, he said, you know, I couldn't, I didn't get a good look, you know? So Mikhail and Sava laughed at him. Their friend Visali, they said, you've had too much to drink. Nice story. I think we'll be fine. And so they said their goodbyes. They hugged their friends and uh, they took off. They knew the owner of the, of the barn. And before they left, he came out with his wife, Inga. And he told them, take this. And he handed them a cross. And he said, that by looking at it, he said, this is silver. The people at that time, they didn't have gold, silver, nothing, everything had been taken. They had to use it to survive, whatever. And he says, I, I would feel bad if I didn't give it to you. And he's like, um, you really should stay the night. You, know, you could sleep in our barn. The road to Dubrovna is rumored to have strange things happening. There was a story that that farmer told them. Another one of a of a bluish white ball of light that came out of the woods and blocked the path of some of the uh, travelers, and didn't didn't hurt them, but they turned around in fear and went back to the to the town of Orsha telling everybody what had happened. And he said that he himself had once encountered a green ball of light that actually gave chase to him when he was on his horse and almost caught up to him. But then at this one point where he crossed this little bridge, he was pretty much free and the thing didn't cross the water. Now that creek or that water was only there during certain times of the year. And so he he implored them, just stay, stay the night. It's not going to hurt. We'll just you sleep in the barn. We'll, you know. And they said, no, 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 no. We got things to do in the morning. We got to get up early. It's already late. want to get a few hours so I can help my dad on the farm. You know, that was Sava. And he said, we really got to go. <clears throat> so Alex tells me that his, his dad was uh, very adamant that he wanted to stay. He didn't want to go home. He was, he'd been drinking quite a bit. And uh, Sava was like, well, then you stay and I'll go, I'll go walk by myself. And then he said, nah, nah, I can't leave my friend to walk several miles or kilometers you know, by himself. I'll go with you. And then they tried to give the farmer the necklace back and he was adamant. He said, when you see me again, which you will, just give it back to me. So they said, are you sure? And he said, yes, I'm sure. Take it. Another thing the wife gave to uh, Mikhail, as Sava was the one with the necklace, Sava uh, took the necklace. Mikhail was handed what, at the time, he thought was really odd, but she gave him an old horseshoe and some little weird nails that were still embedded into it. Was it made of iron? Twisted. Yeah, made of iron and twisted to latch, you know, they kind of could loop around like they were twisted, you know, onto the holes of the horseshoe. And he's like, what is this? And she says, this is the best I can do. Just take it with you. You never know. They had heard stories of all kinds of stuff, what their version of fairies would be, you know, what their version of will of the wisps, you know, the the hag, which is the Baba Yaga. They've heard all of it, werewolves, vampires. Didn't believe a lick of it. Never had seen anything. Although Mikhail did say that he grew up in a house where he did see a ghost when he was a child. And he said it was when he was young, he was born in 1937, and he said he was seven years old That you know, when the, the, the war was almost ending. And he saw a German soldier walk through the house and then just disappear. And he recognized it as one of the soldiers that had actually slept in their house. And when the soldier had gone outside, one of the insurgents um, actually shot and killed him. And he said it was really hard because he actually had grown fond of a couple of the soldiers that were there because they were nice to him. Um, he said the Soviets were not so kind. When they came back through, anybody who had, they, they said, collaborated with the, with the uh, Germans, um, which they didn't really have a choice. It wasn't like they wanted to collaborate, they just didn't have a choice. They didn't have weapons. Um, so Mikhail's dad was beaten to an inch of his life and his mother was shot, but she lived, but she had a permanent limp. And so he did everything he could to try to make sure that he could be there for his family. And so, yeah, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty messed up. What ended up happening though, is they, they began to walk home. It began to rain, and then the wind began to blow, and the rain was kind of going right through them, and it was like it's late spring, but you got to remember, it's Belarus. It's not, it's, you know, far north. It's not uh, like it is here in the late spring, where it's just nice and warm. Uh, You still get some northerners blow in, and you you might end up really cold. And uh, so, it got a little chilly, and they were walking, and they were just like, man, this is ridiculous. As they're walking, they're talking, and kind of looking at the trinket, and the... and the horseshoe that they were given uh, by the farmer and his wife, and kind of laughing about it. And as soon as they made a little joke about it, something made a screeching noise above their head. They both looked up and by the light of the moon, they saw this thing. that they said the wingspan must have been 10 feet. And it was big. And they said it was Something that they had, they couldn't recognize as an animal or a bird. There was nothing that big that they could say, hey, this is something. And so they look at each other and they're like, what the heck? And But it, the thing, whatever it was, continued on. About five minutes later, they hear the screeching noise and they see it swooping back over toward them. Only this time it's fl- flying a lot lower and then it flies overhead. And they get a a look at it, not a good look, but they got a look at it and it looked like a human. Only a deformed human with a really weird looking mouth with what they can only describe as a set of jagged looking teeth. And they look at each other and they were like, what the heck? They kept walking. They get to this one little fork in the road and to the right, off to the corner in a pasture is a barn, a dilapidated barn. So they bolted for the barn and they decided, you know what, we'll make our camp in there tonight. And we're just gonna stay in the barn. It's too far to go back. You know, we're, They were like at the halfway point at this point from their their farther destination from where they were at. And so they went into the barn and what Alex told me, he says, my dad said, he's like, we had nothing to, to light a fire or to do anything. So we just closed the barn door. There was a latch, we closed it. And we just hoped that whatever that was that we had seen, wouldn't mess with us. And then while they're sitting there contemplating the necklace, you know, Savo put it on his neck. Mikhail gripped the horseshoe in his hand. And then Savo says, I'm not used to wearing a necklace. Why don't you wear this? And so Mikhail says, okay. So they switched and he gave him the horseshoe. He says, I felt a lot more comfortable wearing the necklace. Like he goes, I felt like I was safe. Like maybe, maybe he was protecting us and he goes in a good 30 minutes goes by. He's like, and nothing, there was no sound. There was nothing. He's like, you know, and he estimated maybe another 30 minutes They after they had talked about it. And then they hear something on the roof of the barn. And at first it was like right above their heads. And when it landed, it was like a thud. They look up and they see like dust coming off of the top of the roof, the the ceiling falling down onto them. And then they heard footsteps, footfall, boom, boom, boom. Walking around, boom, boom, boom. Then at one point on the roof, they hear like this banging, pounding noise. And his friend Savo asks uh, Miguel, he's like, you think it's that thing we saw? And he's like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. And so he's like, they're sitting there, they're huddled together, and they're staring up at the ceiling. Then they see a board fall and start to break up, and the dilapidated ceiling is giving way. Then they see this head poke in, and they look, and it's dark in there. They can't really see real good, but it was a full moon, so there was some light shining in Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Feature, a humanoid, a head. And then whatever pulled its head back out of the hole and began to walk around the the roof of the barn again. And then they heard like a weird screeching noise. And then it was gone. And there was no sound for 15, 20 minutes. At this point, they were walking around the barn trying to find a lantern or anything that could light fire anything at all that could illuminate this whatever it was. Next thing you know, they hear a banging noise at the front of the of the barn, like at the, the front barn doors, and they, they almost come caving in and it cracks the, uh, the, the wooden slat that they had used to, to, to close the door, to lock the doors. Then another kick and it breaks the wood, is almost completely cracked. And they were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? They find a drawer with a small, like what looks like a, 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 you know, an old desk that was barely able to stand up. They find some, some, some matches. They find a lantern, you know, there was like three or four of them sitting there and they lit one of them and it worked. And it was by the grace of God, he said, like, well, there was only three matches in there. And he's like, and you know, they also found like what looked like a key. And, uh, I think he said something else was in there, like some papers or whatever. He goes, so they grabbed this big metal key and they were going that's all they had for weapons was a horseshoe, metal keys, a lantern, and basically a cross. They go back to the very back of the barn because whatever it was, was coming through the front door and they started to pray. Now they're orthodox and both of them said the Lord's prayer. And he said, when we said the Lord's prayer, the rain began to become more intense and the lightning kept striking. And we were able to see outside, you know, for quick flashes, he's like, and then one of these lightning flashes, he goes, we see this thing looking at us through the windows. They were like two sets of windows right there together. This thing moved from one window to the next, looking in at them, and then the next thing you know, it breaks through the glass and starts to try to crawl through. But the wings on this thing were preventing it from being able to maneuver through. And they could see the glass actually cutting this thing and it bleeding. Um, It had red blood from what they could see from the lantern and the moonlight and the flashing of the lightning. And he's like, the lightning was like a blessing because it kept illuminating this thing. And the lightning, for whatever reason, seemed to make this thing, like whenever the lightning would flash, it would pull out of the window and it would stop briefly. He's like, I I don't know if it was something that God was doing to help us or what. He said, but we got a good look at this thing. He goes, and I had nothing to compare it to. This is what Alex said that his dad told him. Until years later, he said he was living in the United States. And he watched the movie Salem's Lot in the eighties. And he said, oh my gosh, he's like, that is what me and Saba saw that night. He's like, that is what we encountered. Something similar to that, the way that the creature looked on the movie Salem's Lot, that was the best, it wasn't exact. He said it wasn't exactly like that. He goes, but it was close, except the one that they saw, the skin was like black. And like black as midnight black with like splotches, what looked like gray splotches on it. And he said that it was like something that he had never seen before. He had heard a story of something similar, like from his friend who claimed that his oxen was killed and eaten several years ago. But he also was told a story by his cousin and she told him a story about something that would come and look at her in the window at night where she lived. And she lived about three or four kilometers, just north of his farm. Um, and he said, I remember her talking about this as a little girl, seeing this weird monster in the window. And the monster would talk to her through mind, through her mind and tell her to come outside and asking for permission to come inside. And she said that her her little, his little cousin was like, no, no. And it did it for nights on end. And then one day, it started doing it to the the, the youngest uh, of his little cousins, her little brother. And the little brother said, okay, well, usually he didn't sleep by the window, but she was sick of it, so she switched places with him. And she, he walked, she walked up and he, the, her little brother was on the edge of the bed talking to this being and she had agreed. So this thing goes to the front door, opens the door and walks back into their bedroom. And as this thing was starting to try to walk into their bedroom, three of the of the kid there was four kids in one room. That three three of the kids all woke up to witness this what was going on. The little boy was terrified. And they ended up throwing the Bible at it and screaming out in Jesus name, asking for Christ's help. And that must have worked because this thing backed up. And then their mother came down the hallway, brave woman, her husband had died in the war. And she comes down the hallway and says, you have no power here, get out, go away. You don't belong here. You are not allowed here, you are not welcome here. And this thing hissed, made a stomping motion toward the the woman and then burst out the back door and was gone. The story that was told, he said that he thought it wasn't true. Only because every time it was told, it became more fantastical. Like there was another element that was added to it. But now he's sitting here confronted with whatever this thing is, and he's thinking, well, maybe this is actually real. And maybe, you know, I was a little too hasty just to ignore and, uh, and make fun of it. He said, I laughed about it, thought it was ridiculous. Because my cousin tells this story and then the aunt corroborates it one day when they're all out eating, you know, dinner at, at a get together. He's like, and then everybody's just believing it, you know, like, oh, this happened. And he's like, but not me. No, I didn't believe it. I thought it was was, was BS, you know. And he's like, and then I'm confronted with something out of my worst nightmares. This thing's trying to get in through the window. He's like, we found a pitchfork, and we found what uh, an axe with a broken handle, and that's all we had. He goes, we found those weapons, so we we had that, a horseshoe, and a big old key that maybe we could use. And he said that this uh, this barn, which had like some like a couple stable pins in it, you know. He said, we went and we got and back in, we ducked back into one of them and we just hid. And he said that eventually the front door, the two, the two double doors was bang, you know, they were busted open. He's like, and then we heard this creaking noise. Like when this thing walked, it was like, it sounded like somebody's knees popping. And he said, I could hear it like going, <laughs> <laughs> like it was just like that. And I I practiced for like days trying to get that right. I did it. Okay, well, anyways, he said that this thing comes walking through making that noise. And whenever he goes, I couldn't help it anymore. I looked underneath and I saw these weird feet that had four toes. The weird thing was that there were four toes, but two weird looking, which should have been one dewclaw. There were two, one on each side, like spurs. He said when it walked he's like I could hear this creaking noise he goes and then I looked up and I saw its face and whenever it would turn its neck or its head to the side there would be a like a creak like you know a joint popping you know he said as I'm looking up at it it looks down at me he said and then in a flash it was up underneath the, the stable door and trying to pull like me out from underneath it, grabbing on my jacket, clawing my arm, scratching me up, shrieking loud, so loud, he said, whatever it was, the sound, and we've heard this before about infrasound, the sound was reverberating. Penetrated his body. Yep. Penetrating the body, hurting my lungs, my kidneys, everything, my head, it felt like something was assaulting me with sonic sound. He said he had seen years later, you know, jets flying overhead, and he said they would make this sonic boom. And he said, dude, that's what it felt like. That's what it sounded like was like a boom. Whenever it began to like open its mouth, they could feel and hear these loud, loud blasts of of sort of like some sort of like a release of energy coming off of this thing. He said, I never in a million years would have believed that something like this could be real. He's like, but my dad had gone to war and he had fought against the insurgents and he fought alongside the Germans. And then when the Soviets pushed back, he had to switch sides and fight for the Soviets because they were going to kill him. And so his dad said, look, I fought on two different sides of a war and I was forced both ways. And he said, The scariest thing that I ever heard was a werewolf story of two soldiers that were in a ditch manning a machine gun nest, and they got their heads torn off by what could only be described as a werewolf. And he thought, my dad tells that story, he's like, he didn't witness it, but it was told to him, so he believed it. And he said the reason that he thinks his dad believed this silly story about the werewolf was because... The woman that he married, his mother, her dad, which would be his father-in-law, had an encounter. Well, he was really small and he barely remembered it, but his older brothers, and they always talked about this, this werewolf that would come and was attacking their farm for months until they finally got together with some other farmers and managed to kill it. They nailed it to a tree. And the next day, it was a man. We can get into that story maybe in another time, uh, maybe in a couple weeks or something. But uh, that is, those stories are pretty interesting. And originally those were the stories that were given to me. And um, then this story came about later as I began to talk to him. And he said that my dad has a good story and I'll see if I can get him to tell it. His dad doesn't speak really good English. and. Alex is one of the few people that I know that's about as busy as I am, but he, he made time to tell me these, this, this encounter. So back to this, to the barn, his dad was in the stable with his friend. This thing grabbed him and began to try to pull him from underneath the stable door that they were huddled up in. And his dad said, you know, at that moment, he goes, Sava had a, a pitchfork and he went bravely, he went up over the top of the stable door and began to stab at this thing. This thing barely flinched and eventually stopped pulling him after he slammed his head into the door. A couple times he said, I was woozy, almost unconscious. And he said that it popped up and tried to fly up over the top of the stable. The thing is that part of the barn, the, the ceiling was was like kind of caved in and so this thing could not fit its body over the top of the staple door there was no way for it to do it it was just impossible with the wings that it had and like earlier I said I don't know what this thing was but for me it would be a vampire and so Alex elaborates later on as to why he believes and his dad believes that it's a vampire and I'll tell you but for right now it's just a flying humanoid creature that's trying to attack and kill them um, with some really, really nasty-looking fangs. And as his friend begins to try to stab this thing with the uh, pitchfork, he said, "This thing hits the ceiling, and part of the ceiling starts to cave in on top of them. So they both had to like get out of the of the of the way of this caving-in ceiling, and this thing." just bolted up into the hole that had been made from the ceiling caving in and was gone through the top that gave them a very brief reprieve to get out from me out that out of that stable and go across the other side of this large barn when eventually this thing came back it was like r- crawling right back through that hole and it kind of squeezed in sideways because more of the ceiling had begun to cave in. This thing was a dilapidated building. And he said that this thing just was like standing right in front of them. And at this point, he said, his dad, his dad told me, he says, this was when I don't remember anything after this point. He's like, this thing smacked me so hard. He said, it felt like a, like an iron fist hitting me. And he goes, and I went flying into the wall, hit my head and I was out. He's like, the next thing I remember I'm waking up, it's still dark. He's like, and this creature was gone. He goes, and my friend Sava was covered in blood, his blood and the creature's blood. The rest is the story that Sava told Alex's dad, he said, when you went uncomfortable, Conscious, He's like, this thing grabbed me and began to choke me. He's like, and I took that key that I had in my coat pocket and I stuck it in its eye. He said, this thing shrieked and howled and backed up. And it, he said, its face began to make this weird swirling looking like it was becoming something else. He's like, and then it went back to being whatever it was. He's like, and it, it and when I fell to the ground, he goes, I, I twisted my ankle and it hurt really bad. He goes, and I crawled. I crawled over to where the ax handle was that you had pulled out from underneath the, the stable door before you went unconscious. He's like, and I took it. And while this thing was regrouping, he's like, I, I went, Crawled over to it as best I could and got as close I as I could with that I felt, you know, comfortable with. He's like, and I swung and I hit it on the foot. At that point he goes, I saw its foot split apart and I saw it freaking scream. Just it began to howl. He's like, and it was, you know, it was messed up. It was really weird. He said that when he hit it really hard, this weird black kind of smoke came off the top of its foot. Same thing happened with its eye, where he stabbed it. Now, at this point, Alex, he asked me, he's like, he's like, you've you heard of stories like this? And I said, actually, yeah, I have. Um, not necessarily with this vampire like that. I've, I've had vampire stories like the one from Portugal. You guys remember that one? Yeah, and. Um, but yeah, the, these people get confronted with these flying creatures, whatever they are. We also covered one, I believe it was like in Maine or Massachusetts in someone's home, where this thing was crawling through the through the hallway, very similar looking creature. We've heard of these things in the Pine Barrens too. Many people believe it's the origin of the Jersey Devil, um, although some people just believe it's a hammerhead bat, I don't know, but here in Belarus. I asked Alex, I said, what did you think it was? He says, my dad and I both believe it was a vampire and my friends, my dad's friend Sava believes it was a vampire. He's like, while my dad was laying there unconscious, he's like, he could see it. You know, there was a, there was a lantern that was lit up. He goes, but the crazy thing was, this thing was illuminated too. He's like, it had like this sort of yellowish glow around it and they couldn't explain it, but you could see it like clearly. And he's like, they, it didn't, they didn't see it like that when it was flying overhead. They could barely get a good look at it. He's like, and he goes, I took the ax that I hit the, that I hit it on the foot with, he goes, and then I hit it in the leg. And the legs were weird. They weren't like a human's legs at all. They were like, they had near the knees, these kind of pointy bones that came up on either side of it, kind of jutting out. Um, but they were flesh colored, like these nodules, they were almost like pointy bones under, that were covered in flesh. And he said it was just a weird, weird-looking creature. And he said that at that at that point, he goes, I, I didn't know what else I could do. He goes, I tried hurting it. It backed up. It held its leg. It looked at me. Its eye was messed up. He goes, and, and while I was looking at this thing's face, its eye just kind of reset itself and was growing back into place. And so he thought, this is pointless. This is useless. There's nothing I can do. And then... He said, I look and I see this this like something shiny by the light of the lantern. He goes, I could see this something glow like, and it was on Mikhail's neck. He's like, and it was the silver cross that was given to me by the farmer and his wife. And so he crawls over there and he grabs it and he goes, and I stand up. And when this thing comes towards me again, he's like, it went to grab me. He goes, and then it opened its mouth. And when it opened its mouth, he said it was like a shark. Like it looked like a land shark, like it was like unhinging its jaw like a snake with a mouth full of teeth, like a shark. He's like, and it looked like it was about to bite me on the head head first and just eat me like an egg. And he said that when it did that, he's like, I threw the necklace into its mouth. He's like, I don't know what possessed me to do that. I don't know why I thought to do it. He's like, but I just did it. I just said, you know, here goes nothing. I threw the necklace into its mouth. He's like, and it backed up. He's like, and I see the necklace fall through the bottom of its chin. And he was like, oh no. (laughs) He goes, I had never seen a creature in such pain. He's like, this thing was grabbing its neck, grabbing its throat, and it was pouring blood down its neck, red blood like a human. He said, and it was like the, you know, the area between your uh, chin and your neck, you know? the soft tissue right there it was like just it had fallen out and that 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 silver necklace whether it was because it was a cross or it was because it was silver or both for some reason it went straight through that creature and the bottom of its throat was hanging out and it began to, to writhe around in pain and eventually it just like tried to fly up into the ceiling it hit the ceiling and it flew back down And then it crawled for a little bit, he goes, and at that point he goes, I thought, why not help it along? You know? So he goes, I grabbed the pitchfork and I ran over towards where it was crawling and he said that it knocked the lantern over. It didn't cause a fire, thank goodness. He's like, but it it, it did light some of the ground on fire, but it was too wet, you know? And he said, so there wasn't, you know, he wasn't worried about that. And so this thing, when it put its hand into the lantern and it broke, that touched the, the fire and it started to shriek. And when it hit the fire, the fire, the kerosene lit up its left hand and part of its arm. He says, so while it was on fire, he goes, I began to stab it with this pitchfork over and over and over again. And he said, when I stabbed it on the back, it was really bony and it was like hard to penetrate anything. There was like this uh, kind of an exoskeleton the way he described it. But he said, these weird, like popping white pustules were coming off the back of it and then they would leak blood. And he said it was like weird. Like he said that, and, and I and I asked Alex, I said, ask your dad if he had gotten, you know, all the details from Sava. He says, dude, he had talked to him about it a hundred times. He goes, he knows every detail. And I said, do you think that the blood, the red blood, was actually maybe coming from what this thing had insang- sanguinated? Or was it like... Um, The white stuff was actually its blood. I mean, who knows, you know? Yeah, maybe the white stuff was like pus or something to be even more grotesque than it already is. Yeah, and so it crawled out and they sat there for about an hour. Nothing happened and they heard the shrieking noise going around and around the barn. And then daylight, the, the sun starts to come out, daylight, and that's it. And they just sat there. It never came back. But they do believe it was a vampire because, about two weeks later, their neighbor said that she witnessed this large, flying creature go down and pick up a calf. And then they found it up in a tree about two days later, and it was completely exsanguinated. So that whatever it was, it grabbed it, must have drank its blood. So. What are the, the... I'm assuming that he probably went back and talked to the farmer. I'm, I'm wondering what he said about that, about how he basically saved his life, I mean, with that cross. He didn't say anything about the farmer. I, don't know. I mean, I'm just saying... Probably, I don't think the farmer was, con- was anticipating a vampire. I think he was just for anything out there. Now... When we've gotten stories in the past, people have told us, you know, they saw this flying humanoid or they saw something vampiric looking or whatever. They don't typically say they saw a vampire, but then after we do a show and we talk about a vampire or vampires, ultimately somebody will come forward and say, hey, I saw a vampire based on the description of what we're saying, things that look like a vampire This one was pretty cut and dry. Like his dad pretty much told him, told Alex that that it was a vampire that he encountered that night with his friend. And he told him, He's like, as much as I'd like to be the hero of the story, I'm pretty sure Sava is the the hero. He goes, If nothing else, even if Sava exaggerated, he said he woke up and the thing was gone. Yeah, either way. And he goes, And And the result is the same. Yeah. He said, so Sava told him that it was a horrific fight and he was scratched up, clawed up and had a big bite taken out of his shoulder. Um, Fortunately for him, he didn't turn into a vampire. He is not one of the undead. Sava died a few years ago um, from uh, complications from diabetes. But I mean, you know, what do you guys think? I mean, mean, it sounds like a vampire to me. I think it attacking, I think, I think the part of it was, and I'll go back to this part. He said that when he, after this happened, he went to his cousin, his little cousin who he had made fun of for years, you know, he said over a dozen years, I'd been making fun of her about it. And he said, I'm sorry for making fun of you. I'm sorry for making fun of your siblings. I'm sorry for, you know, being insulting toward your mom, who was his aunt, so he gave them all a heartfelt apology. Two of the children, his cousins, were too young to really remember it correctly. They don't really remember much about it. But the two older sisters, they did. And his aunt was actually dying. She was on her deathbed. And she had, like, cancer. And he had gone to her to see her and told her, look, I'm sorry I made fun of you about that story. And her, she was like, well, it's not important now. And he goes, no, it is to me because something just happened. And um, she told him something in the hospital that was very uh, interesting and maybe could shed a little light on this too. She said that one of their dogs had gone missing and they found it, once again, up in a tree. And when they pulled it down, it had no blood. And for years, she always believed that this thing was what did it. And they just... Came to believe that it was some sort of vampiric type entity, something that exsanguinated animals and humans. His great grandfather had told a story um, to his dad, which would have been his dad's grandfather about World War One, and when he was uh, a young man, his his you know his dad's dad was you know. Um, coming home or his his dad's grandfather was coming home and a group of soldiers encountered something and his dad was a higher up. His dad was like, you know, like a major. And uh, his men began to fire at something in the sky. When they look up, they see this thing flapping its wings. And he said, the, the men said it looked like a dragon, but he said it was so high up in the sky, there's no way for them to know what it was. And he says, looking back on it, it was probably one of these creatures. And so I asked him, I said, do you think there's a population of them he goes i don't know he goes but i know that just across the border he goes from belarus on the other side of the, on the russian you know side of the border which all of belarus pretty much the 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 eastern uh side of of belarus is just it's bordered by the soviet union at that time now russia and he said that one of his friends who was from russia um and would come to do business in belarus and travel back and forth told him that there were legends of these creatures and they would come out of this giant hole near their their hometown, which is this little bitty village. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'll butcher the name. But he said that that, and that, that village knows that, that, that that's there. So back in 1948, right after the war, when they were rebuilding and doing everything, they cemented it over and it was 30 foot around. And supposedly, mm-hmm that sometimes they would hear like the thuds and noises coming to the top of that cement, you know, cover, and they would even hear shrieks and noises, not unlike uh, the stories that we hear about Baalbek. Um, Of course, you know, that's in Lebanon, and uh, we're going to talk about that one day, too, and we're going to talk about the horrors of Petra and a woman that, uh, well— made a huge error in judgment in camping outside of Petra back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Um, she thought that she was, like, finding herself free spirit, you know, whatever. Well, something found her. Yeah. yeah, she found something in the deserts of Petra. Uh, so, we're going to talk about that, too, coming up. And eventually, um, yeah, we're going to get to all these stories and the werewolf story about the guys in, in the ditch that then World War II that got their, their heads tearing or torn off. That's a pretty interesting one. So thank you folks for tuning in. Uh, it's been real. We appreciate your support, your patronage. Uh, thank you for joining the Patreon. Thank you for your donations. Thank you for everything you do for us to keep us going. Um, thank you for your time and uh, keep listening and like and subscribe. Good night. I become eternal when the hunger wakes me. I live to feed with the darkness around.